Paul and Silas stood together, united in their faith, and they suffered together for their faith. And it was through that that God was made known to the people of Philippi and the first church in Europe was born. If you were to continue to read in the story, you would see how God miraculously made them a way out of prison and even saved the jail guard. <laughs> he had, uh, the jail guard had got saved and then he brought Paul and Silas to his home and his whole family was saved. So God still used it. He didn't leave them in their suffering, but he brought purpose to it. And you see, to the ancient people, this sort of suffering that Paul and Silas were experiencing, it it was shameful. It wasn't anything you wanted. It wasn't honorable. Especially if you were trying to make a good name for a God, you wouldn't have done the things that they did and endured the suffering they did because that just gives them a bad name. But the Philippians noticed through Paul and Silas that this God that they were talking about was different. He wasn't like their other gods. With their other gods, suffering meant that you were cursed. You did something wrong. You didn't have their favor over your life. But it wasn't like that with this God. What was different? I believe what they saw was this right here. Suffering does not mean God's favor is removed from your life. In fact, his favor is with you through suffering. Welcome to the PC Youth Podcast. We are continuing our series in the book of Philippians as we look at this letter from Paul. This week, we hear from Pastor Kiera as we learn, suffering does not mean God's favor is removed from you. In fact, his favor is with you through suffering. Grab your Bibles and something to write with as we get into this week's message. All right, guys, so we're going to continue in our series on the book of Philippians. So Pastor Spencer's done a great job introing the book, and he's covered much of the first chapter. So we're going to finish out the last four verses, starting in verse 27. And really, what these four verses encompass is this idea, or three ideas, right here. It's together we are citizens of heaven. Together we stand firm in the faith and together we suffer for the sake of Christ. Now I know some of that might not make sense, which is exactly why we are going to unpack all of that. So if you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter one and go to verse 27. Say 27. Yes, I gotta get there as well. All right, so Paul opens by saying, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now we're going to take a minute to stop right here because I don't know if you guys know this, but the words that Paul just said are, is very, very strong language in the Philippian world. The people in Philippi were citizens of Rome, so the Roman, the Roman government was ruling over them. And they were very powerful. They were very advanced. And so to be a Roman citizen under them actually was a great benefit in a lot of people's eyes because they had the protection from them. They had the benefits of the Romans. 
So if you were a citizen of Rome, you were expected to live like honorable Romans to maintain the empire's image. Everything you did was to honor and build up this empire of Rome. So they understand the weight and the responsibility that comes with being a citizen. And if you were to look to any other authority besides Rome, you were seen as a threat to their society. You might even have your citizenship removed, and depending on how far the extent was that you were um, disregarding them and going to another authority, they might even have you killed for that. And so Paul right here is saying, yeah, you might be citizens of Rome, but I'm going to call you citizens of heaven. Because being a citizen of heaven came first before being a citizen of Rome. And so he says, just as the Roman citizens would be living and bringing an honorable name to Rome, so you should for the kingdom of God. He says, we are citizens of heaven. And he says, as citizens, we live our life worthy of the gospel of Christ. So what does that mean? What does it mean to live our life worthy of the gospel of Christ? And as we'll see, Paul is going to break that down into the next few verses. And he does that through saying two things. He says that being united together in the faith is imperative. We need to be united together in the faith. And he also says that we need to be united together in suffering. United together in suffering. So moving on to the rest of verse 27, Paul says... Then whenever I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. So Paul talks about standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Now, how many of you know to stand together for one thing is powerful? When you have people grouping together and saying they're standing for this one thing, it's a lot more powerful when it's just an individual. And this was especially true, I believe, in the Philippians world. Unity like this under one God was absolutely unheard of. It's crazy to think about, but the Philippians, most Philippians, if they weren't Christian, would have viewed Christians as atheists, actually, because it was normal to worship multiple gods. You want to make sure you had all your bases covered. You didn't want to make one god angry and then have favor with another. You just wanted to have favor with all of them. So you worshiped as many of them as you could. And so the unity that these Christians have under one god is very different. They were looked at like they were crazy. But Christians are like, yeah, I guess we are those crazy people. We only worship one God. It's because the Christians knew that there is one God, but this God, he's different. Because he is the creator of all, and he is the God over all, and this God is enough. We don't need more than him. We just need him. So instead of, for, instead of standing for multiple different ideas, the Christians just stood for this one thing. And I realize this is a different culture. We might not believe in uh, multiple gods necessarily like the ancient world did, did. But we still live in a culture that is lost and truth is confused. 
The world says to find your truth yourself. Do what is right in your own eyes. And you know what? A lot of times that, that sounds great. <laughs> but if you think about it, that just doesn't work. Because then everyone has their own version of truth. And then how are you going to actually know what the real truth is? So to stand as Christians, as citizens of heaven, is to stand together and say, here is the truth. It's these three things right here. It's that God is one, God is with you, and God forgives you. God is one, God is with you, and God forgives you. So what does that mean? God is one. God is the creator of all. He is the Lord of all. There is no one like him. There is no one besides him. God is one. They stood for God is with you. So though he created the world, he wasn't impersonal, just created it and then walked away and said, all right, good luck. (laughs) Have fun. But he's someone who's involved in people's life and in his creation. God is with you. And God forgives you. That there is salvation and redemption that can be found in him. This is what the Christians stood for. And it's powerful. It stands out from the Philippian culture. And I believe it stands out to our culture today. And Paul is saying, as you stand together in this, you don't need to be afraid about the people who come against you. Because you do have enemies. There are going to be people who come against you. But as you stand together in the faith with the salvation God has given you, you're going to show evil what's coming their way. They're going to realize their wicked ways and see their ways of destruction. I think uh, Psalm chapter 1 verses 5 through 6 says this really well. It says, The wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. When you stand firm on the foundation of the gospel, that God is one, God is with you, God forgives you, you will not fall. Because salvation is yours, and no matter what the enemy tries to come against you with, They cannot take that away from you. And so Paul is urging these people to be united in their faith. To not just stand firm for the government that's over them, but even more than that, they need to stand firm as citizens of heaven, showing people who God is, that he is the way, that he is the truth, that he is one, he is with you, and he forgives you. And so then Paul goes further and says this, For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So Paul's saying, not only do I want you to stand together in faith, but also to stand together in suffering. And I know when a lot of us hear that, we're like, okay, that's kind of scary. Like, (laughs) we may not have known that that's a part of being a Christian. But that's part of the whole reason why the Church of Philippians actually became Christians, was because of Paul's suffering. When Paul visited Philippi, they watched him go through a bunch of persecution and beatings. If you read in Acts 16, you can read this story. Pretty much Paul goes there and he has his missionary partner Silas 
and they rescue this girl from be being demon-possessed, and these other people get angry because they're actually making money off of her. So then they bring them to the officials and get mad, say they're trying to um, go against the Roman government. They're trying to make us practice things that are illegal. And in Acts verse 22, it says that the crowd joined in the attack against them. The chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had severely flogged them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them in the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. Can you just imagine going through this situation where you just saved this, this girl from being demon-possessed? And these people get mad at you and have you beaten for it. I just, I can't imagine what Paul and Silas are thinking in that moment of, we, we didn't do anything wrong. But yet, just because they were saving this girl and they were preaching Christ, these people had them beat and had them thrown into prison. And you know how Paul and Silas responded as they were in jail. If you read in Acts 16, it says that they prayed and they sang hymns to God in their jail cell. Together, united in their faith, and they suffered together for their faith. And it was through that that God was made known to the people of Philippi and the first church in Europe was born. If you were to continue to read in the story, you would see how God miraculously made them a way out of prison and even saved the jail guard. <laughs> he had, uh, the jail guard had got saved and then he brought Paul and Silas to his home and his whole family was saved. So God still used it. He didn't leave them in their suffering, but he brought purpose to it. And you see, to the ancient people, this sort of suffering that Paul and Silas were experiencing, it, it was shameful. It wasn't anything you wanted. It wasn't honorable. Especially if you were trying to make a good name for a God, you wouldn't have done the things that they did and endured the suffering they did because that just gives them a bad name. But the Philippians noticed through Paul and Silas that this God that they were talking about was different. He wasn't like their other gods. With their other gods, suffering meant that you were cursed. You did something wrong. You didn't have their favor over your life. But it wasn't like that with this God. What was different? I believe what they saw was this right here. Suffering does not mean God's favor is removed from your life. In fact, his favor is with you through suffering. It's this point right here. Suffering does not mean God's favor is removed from your life. In fact, his favor is with you through suffering. He is with you in it and he uses it. It was true for Paul and it's true for you today. Now, I know this might sound a little repetitive to what Pastor Spencer was talking about last week. I believe he was saying a point along the lines of God's faithfulness doesn't stop the moment you encounter suffering. 
And I don't think it's by accident that a similar thing is being laid on my heart tonight. I think there's something God is wanting each of us to take away from this point. We all come in with our own sufferings. I don't know what they are or what you're going through, but you do not have to go through it alone because you have God who is with you and he's also provided you with a community of people who can stand with you through it. And one of the ways I've had to view a lot of sufferings in my life, it's okay to admit that they're hard, that they suck. <laughs> it's not always fun to go through them. But in those moments of suffering, I have to tell myself, there's two ways I can go through this. I can either go through this with God, or I can go through this without God. I can either suffer just to suffer, or I can suffer and give it to God and allow him to work through it and make something out of this. I remember a specific season in my life where I was going through one of those, and I was just worrying about so much of how, is, how are things going to work out, God, what's going to happen through this? And God's like, okay, I'm going to take you through this, so your attitude <laughs> in between here to there is up to you. If you're going to take joy during this time, and if you're going to trust me, then you're going to come out of this having a lot more, a lot more joy. But if you decide that you're going to just worry about it the whole time, then it's, it's just going to suck for you. <laughs> you're just going to make it worse for yourself. And I think another thing that we, when we encounter suffering, that I know I've worried about and I know many other Christians and people have worried about is, has God's plans gone awry? When I'm going through something, does that mean I didn't do something right? Or maybe in the midst of this, I just don't see how he can work and move through this, so I don't know that he really has a plan here. But trust me when I say that his plans have never gone awry, no matter what the suffering is. Even through Paul and Silas's, I'm sure when they were thrown in jail, there were people looking at them like, oh shoot, now what? Like the missionaries who are spreading the gospel, they're now stuck in jail. And even in this moment, Paul is writing from prison, and the Philippians had sent someone to go talk to him to pretty much see if he's okay, because they were concerned, like, what's going to happen with Paul? What do we do? How can we help him? But Paul's coming back and saying, like, I'm okay. God is using me in this place. He is with me. And so he's passing this encouragement off to the Philippians so they might be able to experience the same thing. Worship team, if you want to come up. I want to tell you guys about a story from a friend of mine from the church I was previously at. And this friend, he's, he's so awesome. He, his life was absolutely transformed while he was in jail. He used to have a lifestyle that was just caught up in a lot of crimes, drugs, and he just was very destructive, did not like the world, did not like people, just really didn't care. And he's in his, or he had a friend. I don't remember what his friend's name was, but that would always tell him about Jesus. 
And he always just kind of ignored him, like, okay, like, that's just your belief, but has nothing to do with me. And his friend had passed away. And so now he's in this jail cell, and he's kind of thinking about all the times that his friend has told him about Jesus. And so he decides he's going to pick up a Bible, and he's just going to start reading it. His friend's name was Elijah, I remember now. Because as he's reading through one of the Gospels, one of the Gospels is talking about the prophet Elijah and believing in the words Elijah has given you. And he was like, that cannot be a coincidence that my friend Elijah has been telling me about Jesus. And here in the Bible, even though it's not the same Elijah, but I'm reading the same name. And it's talking about believing the words that he spoke. And so in that jail cell, he gave his life to Christ and his life was absolutely transformed. Once he got out of jail, he got himself plugged into the church, Hope Church, the church I was at. And he got clean. He just started working and was just trying to make his life turn around, was trying to become a a full-time plumber, was just investing in a lot of himself and just making a better life. And I love him because everywhere he goes, he just, he wants to tell people about Jesus. At his workplace, he's always telling coworkers and he's telling all the people that come through about Jesus. And then he was coming to church and just telling us all the crazy stories and encounters that he's had with people. And so recently, I had a friend tell me that he had got sent back in jail. And it wasn't because he slipped up or anything. There was just, really it was a big misunderstanding, which is getting sorted out soon. But needless to say, he got put back in jail. And so when I heard this, my heart kind of sank. And I was just thinking like, shoot, like this has got to be so hard on him. And I can't imagine the discouragement he's facing in his own life and in his faith. Like, I was just starting to worry about him. But then my friend (laughs) continues and says, oh yeah, but he's doing great. He's leading Bible studies and he's talking to all the guys in there about Jesus. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, of course he is. Like, that, that makes so much sense. But just hearing that, I was so challenged and encouraged because isn't that amazing faith right there? to have such confidence in knowing that God is with you wherever you are and that he never stops working and never stops moving. And I can't say that I've been perfect in that. Sometimes I've had the tendency to get frustrated and get discouraged and really weigh down on myself. There are times in suffering where I'm like, I just... I don't want to talk to anyone. I'm just too emotionally exhausted. I just want to stay home and just be alone. But then being alone isn't fun either because then you're with your thoughts. I'm sure a lot of us know what that's like. And that's natural. I think a lot of us have experienced that, although we handle suffering many different ways. But I'm here to tell you that God is present in your suffering and he is purposeful in all of it. And I'm here to tell you that you have a church family that stands with you in this. One thing I love so much also about this story with my friend is that even though his church family isn't necessarily physically in jail with him, they've been standing with him and going through this journey by his side. They have been united together in faith with him and they've been suffering together for the faith with him.
that is part of the beauty of the church. Church youth or go to peopleschurch.com.